It's a shame I don't have the hat anymore. It was a, it was a cowboy hat anyways. I had the hat on the whole time and all. Cut you in a piece. I can't even do the accent, so that that would be a problem. Yeah, I can't. I, the closest I can do is, you know, when you get this going on. And then the accent just kind of slides down whenever you do this. But I'm not really, like, I can't manage this kind of Chicago accent because I just, I just can't do that. Because I'm terrible and awful and dumb and stupid. This was written by David Harmon, although I also have to give credit to some other person. I'll cut to that in a second. Uh, Harmon was actually, this is, he wrote another episode, The Deadly Years, an episode I despised. But nevertheless, uh, he obviously ha has a little bit of a better handle on this. What's funny is they brought in a special director just for this episode. Now, if you were paying attention during season one, a director in TOS only directing one episode isn't exactly unusual. What is unusual is that director being someone who was called in specifically to be a special director. This is James Comack, who you may or may not remember as being a... Well, he was a comedy director, and he was damned good at it. And he does do some very good stuff. He pulls some good performances out of his actors. He knows how to use the camera for good effect. So, definite big on that. This, uh... <laughs> This episode has had an interesting impact on me. Let me go ahead and say that I do love this episode. This is this is a gush episode. A gushination, whatever you want to call that. But I do want to talk about a couple things, first of all. I actually completely forgot to talk about this last week. That's on me. Pevney left the show. Now, you can think whatever you want about that, but the previous episode was the last one Pevney worked on. He was out. And I believe he was the first, no, he was the second to go, effectively, uh, after Kuhn. Although, oh God, I'll talk about that in a second. Because, well, people were bailing ship at this point in time. Uh, pretty soon, Fontana's going to leave the show. And obviously, uh, they're going to, even John Meredith Lucas, who they just brought in, is also going to leave the show. And I don't, I don't remember the full list. It is a large list of people who bail on TOS at the end of Season 2 before Season 3. It's one of many reasons why Season 3 um, isn't as good by popular consensus. I haven't rewatched it lately, so I'm going off of the generally accepted norm. But that is the general consensus. And the massively reduced budget, the fact that people left, and there was some burnout issues as well, probably are all contributory to why this is happening. But anyways... As I've already mentioned, Kuhn has technically already left the show, but not really, because there's one last project Kuhn was substantially involved in, and it's the one you're looking at, this episode. That's why I wanted to mention that here. This is pretty much the end of Gene Kuhn being a part of Star Trek. Now, I know there's actually an asterisk on top of that, because as I've mentioned before, Roddenberry forced him to keep writing scripts because he said it was in his contract. So even though Kuhn had effectively bowed out of Trek, he was then forced to continue writing episodes. I think there were four more episodes, something like that, including Spock's brain. Yeah, that was Kuhn. Whew. We'll talk about that more when we get there. But either way, this is also Kuhn. Uh, obviously, Kuhn didn't write the episode from scratch. That was Harmon. But Kuhn, as usual, did a massive rewrite. And, well, let's just say that the reason this is a, of, of a comedic tone is because of Kuhn, who very specifically and strongly felt that they needed to have at least one more comedy episode in Season 2 after the success of Trouble with Tribbles. I agree, by the way. I'm not saying Trek should be a comedy, although still haven't seen Lower Decks, so I'm not sure how that is. 
but I am saying that Trek should have comedy, and it just needs to be good. Now, that is, of course, the catch. That is, the, I mean, not just the good part, but how you define good comedy. I've analyzed comedy, comedy several times and for several years at this point, and I can tell you that when you really break it down, while there are patterns, there's no success ratio there. It's just rolling the dice every time you try to tell a joke, right? That's one of the reasons I think the lighthearted tone thing works a little bit better than the overall joke thing. Although, this episode did have me literally laughing so hard I had to actually pause the episode several times. Even on this reviewing, no joke, this one still gets to me. I love this episode. <clears throat> but that's me. And if you don't find the comedy funny, well then, there's not a lot here for you, is there, right? So Coon's gone. Uh, it's actually worth noting that George Johnson... Uh, actually did the original script treaties, and Roddenberry actually had some stripped ideas as well, and then it was handed off to Norm Harmon, and then it was handed off to Kuhn, so we've, we've got a bit of a tiller problem going on here. But the other thing I want to comment on, so Pevney's gone. I, I wanted to say that really quick. Pevney's gone. Pevney... I've quoted him several times because I wanted to demonstrate how much I disagree with him on so many aspects of things. But at the same time, I've grown a grudging respect for the man because, by all accounts, he was more of a producer than a director. I don't mean that as a negative thing, by the way. I mean he was, con he was interested in making the episode actually happen in a practical sense. He didn't care about the creative side, not really. He didn't care about letting quality slip, not really. He cared about making sure it happened at all. And there does need to be at least one person who is trying to apply the practical side of things to make sure something actually freaking happens. Even if that is a contention point, even if the creative side has to fight them and vice versa, that mentality does still need to be there. And I think his absence is something that does hurt the show, to be completely honest. Uh, Mark Daniels will be leaving the show sometime soon-ish, so he'll be another one bowing out. I'm not actually sure the exact moment Fontana leaves. I, could, I, I think it's... Uh, I think it's by any other name. I'm going to have to do a little more research on that one. <sighs> the episode, like I said, the episode has a bit of an imprint on me for weird reasons. See, I like River City Ransom. How many people in, in the, the, the comments are going to be like, what the heck is River City Ransom? Or are rushing to Google right now. <laughs> the idea, as strange as it may sound, it, it really boils down to the feudal lords concept, but the idea of the crime bosses and the interpoliticking that goes on between them is something that's always just been kind of fascinating to me from a you know, fictional perspective, obviously. And so I was like, oh, dude, that's cool. And I also have to admit that I've played Star Trek the 25th Anniversary game, which covers these events, and the NES game, which is in part based on that, which also covers these events. Both of them actually follow through on the communicator thing at the end. Just... What's, what I find, which I find funny, because the, the series will never cover that communicator thing again, to my knowledge, unless TAS did it or some of the new stuff. Several, several of the books and games, as I've already mentioned, have covered the communicator thing. It's just interesting that so many fans were looking at that like, but the, he left the communicator there. What are you, what are you gonna, anyways. <clears throat> you ever play 25th anniversary, by the way? I, I'm hoping I get to do a review of that game someday. It's just a point and click adventure game, so there's not a lot to review, but it'd still be fun, I think. Anyways, Kirk then tries to explain what the heck is going on here. And fails miserably because Krakow, well, he's a planetary-based gangster who has an understanding of Tommy guns and cars when they're trying to explain things. But they do know about ships, so they already know that the greater galactic community exists. And There's just all kinds of issues here. 
What's interesting is, in my opinion, the beginning of the episode doesn't really properly examine why the Enterprise is here or gives a damn. I hate to say that because it, it sounds harsh, but I'm actually completely with their actual stated goal here. It's not until about, say, the a third or so part of the episode when we actually really get a good examination of what the actual goal is here, to fix the damage. The catch is, the way they do it is bumblingly inept, but that makes sense because they have very low tech and don't really have the ability to properly try to fix things like this. This is not TNG, after all. As I've said many times, both in Enterprise and TOS, we're a little lower on the tech level, so we got to make do with what we got. But I'm with the core concept. This, this place has been contaminated. Let's try to mitigate the damage and repair what's going on here and see what we can do for these poor people. Right? I'm with it. That would be the responsible thing to do. It's also worth noting, Kirk flat out says the Horizon was a Federation ship, so it's our responsibility. Which, again, I'm also on board with. I don't know... I, I, I should pull up the calendar right now. Give me a second. Because I'm not sure off the top of my head when this episode is going to go live relative to a certain episode of Enterprise. Uh, so here we are, piece of the action. Looks like we already had it. In fact, it looks like it was last month. Last month, looks like it would have been February 8th, we had Horizon, which is Season 2, Episode 20 of Enterprise. You're free to think whether this is that horizon or it is not. It was done as a deliberate reference, to be clear, as I will talk about in that episode that has gone live last month. But um, it's also worth noting that they literally have the book there. The Chicago Gangsters book. Or uh, Chicago Gangs, whatever it's actually called. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Mayweather. Appreciate that, buddy. And by Mayweather, I mean, it's more like Mayweather's dad, but you get the point. <laughs> Anyways, it's okay. They all die, according to this episode. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they go down and they try to fix things and blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is yet another example of the we-need-to-reuse-existing-sets-and-props concept, which I've talked about many, 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 many times. And once again, I think this is an inventive and good way to do that. Rather than a parallel Earth, what we have is a planet that has developed under lines because of external interference from Earth to develop under, you know, planetary lines like, like Earth did. It's not Earth, it's not a parallel Earth, but we can still reuse the sets. Good move. I'm with it. Also, I, I happen to unironically like that type of suit, and I think it looks really cool on both Nimoy and Shatner. <clears throat> so, what we have is representative lords who are fighting each other constantly, but... Because of the amount of infighting they have amongst each other, the domestic projects are lacking. Uh, Oxmix actually flat out states this later on. He's like, ah, oh, God, it's horrible. Can't get anything done. There's no improvements. Uh, there's hits constantly. Everyone always has guns. And there's no real infrastructure. They can't even get the laundry coming around properly. This all does a very good job of painting the picture of what kind of society we have here. Now, you could say, well, of course, it's a society run by crime lords. Um... <clears throat> I, I, I'm not trying to make a joke here, but this is just a feudal lord situation, really. And you can say whatever you want about feudal lords being criminal lords, but let's just move on from that topic. The point is, this level of infighting is the issue, and is one of the main motivations behind the crew in trying to fix this, right? 
this is an untenable situation. Even the locals see that this is an untenable situation and it needs to be fixed. As a quick aside, I noticed this very early on. This becomes more obvious the further into the episode you get. They use their hats as flags. Did you catch that? Each boss wears a different type of hat. We only really see the three, actually. The, the other side bosses don't really do this. But the three big bosses, they all wear a different style of hats, and so do all of their men. I thought that was a nice touch. So Oxmix's plan is pretty simple. All right, you arm me. I'll take over. You deal with me. Okay, cool, cool. I'm with it. Um, and there's some nice camera work here. I'm just kind of fast-forwarding. They take the crew hostage because, of course, they do. Just hang on, let's, let's leave this up here for no reason. This then leads to the uh, comedic tone. This is important, though, because there's been several times before, because this is a thing on Star Trek for some reason, where the locals have been taken hostage in order to try and... in order to try and uh, get something from the ship, right? Usually that's played, played seriously, or for drama, or it's this big deadly dilemma, but here it's just kind of like... Boop, 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 boop. Is, is pretty much the tone of this. So it works in its own unique way. It, this, of course, then immediately leads to Fizzbin, which apparently Quark is familiar with. I've actually heard a few headcanon answers for this. I'm curious of, your, curious of yours, but my personal one is actually very simple. The Iotians took Fizzbin, turned it into a full game, and then spread it to the galactic community so that by the 24th century or 23rd century, whatever it is, by DS9's time, they actually have the ability to, you know, just have a game called Fizzbin. So thanks for that, Kurt. I appreciate it. You have made your mark on culture in-universe. So they do the Fizzbin thing. By the way, what's hysterical is Shatner, the actual actor, was completely making it up as he went. It shows, but forgive me for praising William Shatner, but this is, again, why I think he does the comedic thing well. Because, well, because he does. And even ignoring whether or not I think he does it well, one thing that is clear is that he very much enjoys doing it. Uh, one of the quotes in this book that I'm probably going to fail to find in time is that Shatner absolutely loves doing comedy and, and really wanted to do more stuff in the comedic tone. And so whenever he got a chance to, he was like, oh, this is amazing. This is fantastic. I, I get to, to really stretch and blah, 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 blah. And this is not men just mentioned here. This is something that's come up in other episodes as well. Is this it? <laughs> there it is. Bill Shatner. Uh, sorry. Uh, the acting was already locked in because they'd done it. This was fun because it was one of the first times they did a comedy, and Bill Shatner loves to do a comedy. Leonard Nimoy I knew from combat, and I populated it with funny comedy gangsters and said about doing it. Okay, that's this isn't the actual quote I was going for. Um, but whatever. Point is enjoyability, and that enjoyability comes across in his performance, which adds to the my enjoyability of his performance. I've said that many times. If you enjoy what you're doing, people tend to enjoy it more, just generally speaking. Not always. Not always. <clears throat> Either way, with Fizzbin, they escape. Okay, that was fast and easy. But remember, surviving and escaping is not the goal. This is not a, we're in a serious situation and we need to get out. This is a dilemma episode. Remember the types of episodes I mentioned before? And the dilemma here is fixing the locals' um, infrastructure, society... Look, what I'm trying to say is the Bastion needs to show up here, okay? So instead, Kirk runs off and gets captured by Krakow's men. So now he's been taken hostage. We're up to two now. Spock, of course, has a nice little moment with McCoy. It's brief, but it's a nice bit where he goes over and he's like, okay, 
ah, simple. All I have to do is operate this, and I'll get a local radio station. And he, he even has this look of just, hmm? That, that's not right. <clears throat> yes, let, let me try that again. Also, apparently, it's so common. I mean, you could make a real-life commentary on this, but I don't mean one in any, in any sense. It's so common in this setting to have an automatic firearm that they have adverts for them on the radio. Yeah, that's impressive. Either way, <clears throat> so Spock gets taken up, and it, by the way, I should also mention that Scotty has some really good stuff in this episode, too. So, Krakow, is, it, what's interesting is Oxmix didn't really offer Kirk anything. He just said, you do this, and then all you have to do is deal with me, and that was his deal. Krakow says, okay, here's the deal. He, he sends his woman over, because, you know, that's how you convince people, and... Then he says, all right, I'll cut you in for a third, right off the top, nice and clean. Which is actually a really good deal if that's what you're interested in. Obviously, Kirk is not, so he just kind of doesn't go along with it. So what we find out is uh, Mr. Kirk there is actually a distant relative of MacGyver because he manages to MacGyver his way out of this hostage. So that's now a second hostage escape. Meanwhile... Spock is talking with Oxmix and agrees that we have to go down in this incredibly obvious trap. Why do we have to go along with this trap? It's okay, because then they get taken hostage by Oxmix. We're up to three now. <laughs> this is just a thing. Uh, so, then Kirk rushes in very shortly. I would complain more about these hostage situations, but they're effectively a joke. Like, that's the point. It's the running gag as they keep getting taken hostage. And then Kirk immediately rushes in and rescues him. Like, ha, I gotcha. This then leads to Kirk and Spock getting in the outfit, which looks awesome, as I already mentioned. And then Kirk driving. Apparently, the, whatever parts of the episode are where Kuhn is debatable, except for the Kirk and Spock driving sequences, which were all Kuhn. And I could see that. Kirk, of course, does not know how to drive, especially a stick. Hell, I'm not even sure I know how to drive a stick. It's, it's been like 23 years, something like that, since I've driven a stick. It's been a long time, is my point. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure I would do any better than him there. But <clears throat> this leads to an interesting point I'm going to bring up here. Apparently, Oxmix's headquarters and Krakow's headquarters are within driving distance of each other, and it's not mentioned to be particularly far. At first, I was like, what? Star Trek and science fiction in general have this problem where planets are treated like towns. I'm pretty sure that it would take me longer to go visit my sister, who lives in the same city as I do, than it took Kirk to visit this other boss who's in charge of... He's one of 12 bosses in charge of the planet. But then I got thinking, hear me out for a second. This is pure headcanon, of course, and this is just excusing the, the writing and construction of the episode, but... It wouldn't be that far out of bounds to say that what we're looking at is more like frontline headquarters. In short, the idea that if you were to think of the territory of Oxmix, which is the north side of this continent, and the territory of Krakow, which is the southern side like this, that both of them decided to have their headquarters like right here, within spitting distance of each other, right? Given the constant infighting, given the hits back and forth, given wanting to keep a, an eye on the other side, there's actually a degree of sense to that. That is still being apologetic for what is effectively a, you know, a, a planet being a town concept, but it is interesting to think about, especially since the episode itself mentions that they are in charge of a planet, not just, you know, a city or a region or whatever. Anywho, <clears throat> so, they go over, they decide to put the hit on, uh, um, 
on Krakow, and the kid helps out, which is kind of neat. And then there's a commercial break moment. I've started noticing these more and more in Season 2. There's this bit where Krakow's like, ha, 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 I've got the jump on you, and they're taken hostage. And it's like, oh my god, Captain, that was the sound of a machine gun lever being pulled back. We should do whatever he says. Dun, dun, dun. And then they come back and that's basically forgotten. This is what bothers me so much about this commercial break thing. It is literally just done for the fake drama of, oh gosh, what's going to happen? And then is effectively dropped and forgotten the moment the commercial break ends. They're still held hostage. But for all intents and purposes, they are not. They effortlessly walk their way around the situation. Kirk actually takes complete control of the situation. By the way, in one sense, he literally grabs Krakow and just shakes him like, this is stupid! While he's, a, while he's a hostage. And then just kind of walks all over him. So you can see how they're not really... You get my point? Anyways, we're up to four now. <clears throat> this then leads to probably my favorite part of the episode. I can only gush about this. I don't really have any details or nuance to discuss. This is just Shatner having fun, Nimoy having fun, and everyone just kind of bouncing off each other. I want to give special praise to Duan as well, because Scotty in this whole thing is just like, Sir? You, you want me to put him on ice? And you're going to be the one in concrete galoshes. You know, just, just the way he says it, you, you can tell that they're trying to get into it. And the fact that they're trying is part of the comedic touch here. The fact that the effort is being made is, is what makes this so funny. If they were all just like, oh, this is stupid or dumb, it would sap the energy from the scene. But instead, you've got Kirk, who's just going full tilt. Ah, ha, 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 right? And, yeah, you know, Spock is correct, Captain. Right? Right. And the, the way he, 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 Spock and Kirk play off each other, and, and then Kirk and Scotty play off each other, is just brilliant gold. There's even a tiny little uh, brick joke in there, which I actually never noticed before. As they're leaving, he's like, all right, let's get out of here, correct? And Spock says, right. Or just basically finally getting the, the terminology correct, except now he's a little bit too late to do it. Or check, that's what he says, check, instead of right. I actually wrote it down. It's just joy. This, of course, then leads to... Hang on, so it finds, oh my god, they've been they've been taken out. What do we do? How do we deal with this? Well, I know, we're going to go put the hit off on Oxmix, and then we're going to take out those guys. Let's go, let's go. Char, 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 char. Meanwhile, Kirk has Oxmix basically beam in all of the other bosses into one room. An interesting, if volatile, but admittedly smart tactic. He's basically saying, all right, you need to unify. They, they flat out call it a syndicate. You need to get together, you need to be part of one organized group, a Congress, to put it under others' terminologies. Yes, I did just call Congress a syndicate of criminal crime lords. What's the issue here? <laughs> um, I didn't even say which Congress. You can apply this wherever you want. This can go back into history if you want. <clears throat> so they're, they're like, okay, now we're, we're going to have you, and this is how we're going to do it, and the Federation's going to cut us in. And then, naturally, they take them hostage. This is the last time. Don't worry. Fifth time. <laughs> so they, they take them hostage, and it's just like, all right. <clears throat> and for the first, and to my knowledge, last time in Star Trek history, the ship actually provides orbital support. There's probably some other instance I'm not thinking of where it's kind of minor, but this is the kind of thing that should be done all the time. It actually irritates me how little they do orbital support in this show. You have a spaceship. 
which can be really, really precise and has the ability to cause massive destruction or very precise, you know, scalpel levels of interaction, including, and that's, that's just phasers and photons. You've also got tractor beams and the ability to beam things, like you could beam a wall out of something, but no, 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 we never do any of that. Apparently, the phasers on the Enterprise can be set to stun. To my knowledge, this is also the only time that is ever done. Oh, I said mention, they also do site-to-site transport. This is, the, this is another first. So it's the first stuns from the ship, which, and only. It's the first orbital support, and it's the first time they do site-to-site transports. That's three firsts here. Either way. <clears throat> so they, and it's like, okay, okay, you're in charge. We get it, we get it. One of the things I like is Oxmix has a pretty good idea on things. And you, you got this vibe early on if you're paying attention. He's not really power-hungry in the strictest sense of the word. He's just kind of sick of it all. And he just wants to run things, right? That's why he's like, he offers Kirk the bo- top boss position. You noticed that, right? He doesn't say, I should be top boss. He's like, oh, Kirk, Kirk, you be top boss. We'll all run underneath you. It'll all work out. And Kirk's like, no, 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 no. I've got my ship. No, you be top boss. Krako be your lieutenant. Everyone else, peace out underneath you. Get the syndicate going. Get everything working. We'll be around to take our cut. Which, if you're paying attention, by the way, is effectively an institution of taxes. Because what Kirk intends to use their cut for is to try and improve the society at an infrastructural level, which is another word for taxes, or at least how taxes should be used. Interesting to think about. This is a very fun funny episode that is has is, was just a joy to go back through. This is absolutely in my VHS list. And I am, as always and ever, curious of your thoughts. I anticipate that there will be plenty of people who don't like this episode, which is fine, of course. There's nothing against that. Like I've said many times, if comedy doesn't click for you, well, then it doesn't click for you. And that's just the end of the sentence. There's nothing else to add there. Either way... Anyway, <laughs> I think we'll... Uh, Go ahead and be cutting it off here. Shit, I'm I'm coming off as southern. I don't want to be southern. I'll see you next time, guys.